Well, good morning, City Church. It's good to see everyone here this morning. It's good to be back. Hey, just in case you didn't notice, the worship team that just led us this morning is our youth worship team. They did a fantastic job. They do a great job every Friday that they lead worship with us here at the church. And I just want to take a moment to honor them. They're great. Not only are they great worship leaders, not only are they very talented singers, but I just want to tell you, they're just, they're just great people. Um, and so I want to honor them and just thank them because they're just, they're hungry for God and they want to know more about Jesus. And that's why they're there on Friday every single night. And I want to honor the parents as well of these students, of, of Gigi, of Aiden, Mackenzie, Michaela, and Via, and just the, the, how the parents want to just invest into them. And so they bring them to church. And I think that's an amazing thing. And so for any, yeah, let's give it up. And for any parent who brings their student to church on Sunday, on Friday, I just want you to know it's an amazing thing you're doing. And God wants to do something amazing through your student, all right? And yeah, I just love your students. I know the junior high students this morning are in service. Can we give it up for our junior high students? I spend uh, an hour with your students every Sunday, just an hour. And I would just want to say to any parent of a junior high student, God bless you for <laughs> parenting your kids because they are, they are crazy. <laughs> um, but I think, I think they're going to be more well-behaved when they're sitting right next to you here at church. Um, but I'm excited for this morning. Uh, Pastor Brent has allowed me the privilege to speak to you this morning. Um, he finished off a series last week called Come to Jesus. And next week, he's going to start a brand new series all about prayer. And I think uh, this middle section will be kind of a good bridge between the last series and the next series. Now, the fact that I am, happen to be the one with the microphone, I don't think is, is really important. I don't think that matters. But I do think what matters is that God wants to say something today. God wants to speak to you today about something. God wants to meet you where you're at. No matter where you might find yourself when it comes to faith or Jesus or your relationship with God, God wants to say something to you. And I believe he's going to do that through his word today. So would you pray with me as we begin? God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity just to gather together, to lift up your name. We know that we are here because of you. And we just thank you right now. In this moment right now, I pray that you would turn our hearts toward you so that we can see you fully, so that we can experience you in all of your fullness. God, open our hearts so that we can receive a word from you, directly from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, my wife is in the front row. Um, can we give it up for my wife, Ruth? She doesn't like that. Um, but... My wife and I are getting closer to our one-year anniversary, so we're still, we're still very early on in the stages. But something that I'm learning um, when it comes to marriage, and all married people know this, this isn't news to anyone, uh, but there's a huge importance in forgiveness when it comes to uh, relationships in general. Um, but in marriage especially, I'm realizing that there's a lot of back and forth of forgiveness and I want to tell you about a time when um, Ruth had to forgive me for something. Um, it, was, it was about a month ago. Uh, we were driving on our way to church on Sunday morning. And um, partway through our road to uh, coming here, 
Ruth realized that she forgot something at, at home. She forgot something um, for city kids. And so we had to turn around and go back. And something about me, I'm a little weird, um, I really don't like being late for things. That's just the thing that I have. Um, if you're not early, you're late. That's just that's something that I've grown up with. Um, and so I have a bit of a problem with being late. And I never used to be late for things before getting married. I'm not sure. If that, I'm just saying. I'm not. It's fine. Um, <laughs> um, but so I, we had to turn around. And I knew we would be a little bit later than um, we would be if we didn't have to turn around. And so I didn't have the best attitude in that moment. I fully admit. I didn't respond in the best way. I I sulked the way to church, and then both of us had to go into our separate areas and, and go through church. But by the end of the morning, um, I went up to Ruth after, and I said, hey, I'm just, I'm really sorry for this morning. I'm sorry for the way that I acted and the way that I, the attitude that I carried. I apologize. And Ruth said something to me that was really moving to me. It was, I think it was a simple thing for her. It didn't make such a big deal for her, but to me it meant a lot, and I'm carrying it into this message. She said, oh, I've already forgiven you for that. Like, before I even had to muster up the apology, she had already forgiven me. She already let it go. It was already done in her eyes. I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I struggle to apologize. Sometimes it's, it's hard to let that go, to let my guard down and say, yes, I'm sorry, but I did. And it didn't matter because she had already forgiven me. And I think for all of us, we can find ourselves in spaces where in our relationships, we've done something wrong. We've said something wrong because we're having a bad day, because something went wrong. And so um, we don't respond in the best way towards a person that's close in your life. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, someone in school, whatever it might be. We can respond in negative ways and we can act towards them in ways because we are dealing with something because we are struggling with something and we can do something that requires an apology. We all kind of have this tension when it comes to our relationships. And sometimes, so, sometimes saying sorry is all it takes. Sometimes it's just a simple apology and we can move on. But sometimes, sometimes saying sorry is not enough to heal it. Sometimes more work needs to be done. And I wonder if there's anyone here in the room who is maybe dealing with the aftermath of a situation or a conflict gone wrong, where something happened and that relationship is not the same anymore. You may have apologized, they may have apologized, but something, something is still amiss, something is still not quite right. When it comes to relationships, you know, we're all people and none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes and some of us might have the desire sometimes to turn back the hands of time and say, if we could just go back and do that over again, maybe I would act differently and maybe that relationship would be okay. But instead, we're left with this feeling that we can't turn back time and so we're struggling with feelings maybe of guilt, of shame. But I want you to know this is not what God wants for our lives. God wants us to be in unity with each other, with others in relationship, but it's a really difficult thing to do. Because something else that we all have in common is, biblically speaking, we are all descendants of the first man. We are all descendants of Adam. When God created the world, he created a garden, and it was perfect. It was paradise. And eventually God 
created man and he put him in the garden and it was still perfect. But God gave this man one rule. He gave him one boundary and it says in Genesis chapter two, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So Adam was in the garden and it was a perfect garden. It was a paradise. God only gave him one rule. He said, do not eat the fruit from that one tree. All the other fruit is okay. Everything else is fine. Just don't eat from that one tree. And as you know, um, he did. Eve did, and then Adam did as well. So they ate the fruit. They did the thing that they weren't supposed to do. And so Adam sinned and introduced sin to the world. Now, I know sin can be a heavy word, but what does sin mean? Pastor Brent says this all the time, but to sin essentially means to miss the mark. Another way of putting that is the failure to fulfill a goal. To sin is to fail at fulfilling the goal. Adam had a goal and he failed. We have a goal as well. What is the goal? Genesis also tells us that um, we're made in the image of God. All humanity is created in the image of God. And so any way that we treat another person, interact with another person, speak and act towards them, and we don't honor them as if they were created in the image of God, that means we're sinning. When we act towards a person that does not show them, that does not um, honor them in the place of the image of God, we are sinning against God. There's a connection there between our relationship with people and our relationship with God. There's a deep connection there that sometimes we miss. It's, it's why later in Genesis, um, Joseph, who works, who works for Potiphar, captain of the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's guard, he, he works for Potiphar and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, tries to get him to sleep with him. But Joseph says, no. Joseph says, how could I sin against God? He's equating a sin against another person with a sin against God. It's the same for Joseph. And that's a lesson we should take from ourselves as well. That's why Moses, when he, sent the, when he gave us the Ten Commandments, there's a list of these things that we should and should not do. And some of them say, this is how you should uh, relate to God, and this is how you should relate to people. All of it is intertwined. Our relationship with people and our relationship with God. It's why when someone asks Jesus, hey Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What is the single greatest commandment for us to know? And Jesus said, you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And also, you must love other people. You must love your neighbor. He asked for one commandment, but Jesus seems to give him two. It's not two, it's one. To love God and to love people, it's the same. It's the same. Our relationship with God and other people is the same. And so God cares. God cares about how we treat other people. If he created them in the image of God, even the people that you don't really get along with, God wants us to treat those people with honor and with respect. So sin is essentially sin against God. We sin against God when we sin against other people. Our sin is our failure to love God, demonstrated by our failure to love other people. Now Jesus, Jesus dealt with sinners all the time. He still deals with sinners. This is not news to Jesus. This is why he came to earth, so that he could deal with the sin 
problem. And I want to take a look um, in the New Testament at a story where Jesus is in direct contact with a sinner. So let's look at this in Luke chapter 7. It says this, when one of the Pharisees, his name is Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now Pharisees, um, they're kind of like religious experts. And so when this Pharisee invited Jesus into his home, anytime Jesus was invited to a place, he went. Anytime he was invited to a home, he went. But Jesus knew the tricks of the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus. They didn't think he was who he says that he was. He wanted to trap Jesus in some sort of thing. And so as he's inviting Jesus into his home, he's saying, this is going to be the moment where I'm going to catch Jesus as a liar. And so it goes on, it says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now at this time, um, people could come and go in the houses as they see fit. And so this, this woman, and the, the text describes her as a sinful woman. She lived a sinful life. And Luke, who wrote this, is trying to tell us, this is a woman who was steeped in sin. She lived a sinful life. And she is entering into the presence of Jesus among a Pharisee, among a religious expert. And it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So as this woman comes in and is interacting with Jesus, the Pharisee Simon, he's basically like, we're, we're good, we're done. I already caught him. If he, if he was who he says he was, if he really was the son of God, if he really was a prophet, then he would know that a sinner is interacting with him. And he wouldn't allow that. that. That just can't be possible. And so he thinks he's caught Jesus already. But Jesus answered him. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. With no context, no setup, Jesus just launches into a story, into a mini parable of sorts. And he says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So he's telling a story, he's saying, two people are in a large amount of debt, one in much larger debt than the other. But the money lender says, you know what? It's all good. I forgive the debt. I'm just going to let it go, which is really unlikely. And the, the audience, the, those that are listening to Jesus tell the story like that would never happen. That's insane. And Jesus ends this by saying, which of them will love him more? Which is a really weird question, especially for the Pharisees. To, to think about loving a money lender, it's, it's unheard of. And so Simon replies, a little reluctantly, I think, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. It's pretty obvious what Jesus is trying to get to. And Simon reluctantly agrees, yeah, the one who was forgiven the greater debt probably loves the moneylender more. But then, this is, this is so interesting. We can miss this as we read this, but I want us to catch this. It says, then he turned 
toward the woman and said to Simon. So he's turning toward, he's turning to face the woman. He's looking her in the eyes, but he's still talking to Simon. And he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. He's drawing a contrast here and saying, this woman who you have deemed as an outcast, as someone unworthy of my love because of the life that she lives, you don't even see her in this place, but I see her. Because he's looking at her, but he's still talking to Simon. And he's challenging Simon to say, do you see this woman? She is a person and she deserves my love just as much as anyone. And then it continues, it says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus acknowledges her sins. She is a sinner. She has many sins, but she has been forgiven as her great love has shown. You can see from the love that this woman has shown toward Jesus that she has been forgiven. There's no prerequisite for being forgiven, but there is an outpouring of that forgiveness. And the word forgiven used in this, that Jesus uses, in the Greek, it's, it's called the perfect tense, which means that she is forgiven. She is not forgiven past tense, but she is forgiven period, meaning she is living in a state of forgiveness. Now and forever, this woman is forgiven, and that will not change, no matter what she does. Even if she continues in her sin, she is forgiven. Why? Because Jesus had the authority to forgive sin. Jesus had the power to forgive sin because he's God. But it ends and says, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is a good question that the Pharisees are asking. Who is this man who can forgive sin? It's a fair question. Some people thought Jesus was a liar. Some people thought Jesus was a little crazy. And... Jesus made a lot of claims. Jesus went around doing a lot of things, forgiving a lot of people. And some people didn't like it. Some people thought he was a liar or a lunatic. But Jesus eventually went to the cross and he was crucified and he died for our sins. And everyone thought Jesus would do what all dead people do, stay dead. But he didn't. We know this, he rose from the dead. And that's why we are even reading this today. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would not have a Bible to read from. It wouldn't have lasted. It wouldn't have mattered. But because we are reading this, Jesus rose from the dead and changed everything. And it's why um, one person who once hated Christians, his name was Paul. He hated Christians with everything in him. He eventually made a complete 180 and he wrote a large part of the New Testament. And he wrote a letter to the Roman church and he says this. In Romans chapter five, he says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. 
So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. uh, Paul is, is drawing a comparison between Adam and Jesus. That because of Adam, we have sin. And we have to deal with this in the world, in our relationships, the aftermath of this. But because of Jesus, we are saved. Because of Jesus, we have access to righteousness. Jesus is the second and the greatest Adam. And Adam is, can be translated as humanity. So if we think about that, Jesus has come to do what Adam failed to do, what we fail to do every single day by living up to that standard. And Jesus takes that standard and says, you don't need to work towards that anymore. You don't need to do that anymore because I have come to save you. I have come to do what you cannot do. So just rest in that. And Paul continues and he says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. In Adam, we see condemnation. But in Jesus, we see righteousness. In Adam, we see disobedience. But in Jesus, we see perfect obedience right up until the cross. In the garden, we see Adam turn away from God. But in another garden, we see Jesus turn toward God. Because of Adam's sin, we have thorns in this life. We have thorns in our relationship. But Jesus wore a crown of thorns as he died for us. Adam sinned at a tree. Jesus died on a tree. Adam tried to substitute himself for God. Right? That's what sin does. It says, I know better than God. But Jesus substituted himself for us. Adam died a sinner. Jesus died for sinners. He died for us. Jesus is the greater Adam, and we need to rely on him. And what I'm saying with all of this is that forgiveness is already yours. Forgiveness is already yours. Just like my wife forgave me For my mistake, she said, I've already forgiven you. Jesus does that to such a greater degree and says, I have forgiven you in advance. The forgiveness of God has to work in advance or else it doesn't work because 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for our sins and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I've died for the sins of all humanity. And so it has to work in advance. You're already forgiven. And I know this might seem a little basic for some of us who have been around church a long time, but can we just, if you have been around church for a while, can we just think about this for a moment? How good the grace of God is. How good his forgiveness is. It's it's just so good. It's free. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to work towards it. Jesus says, come here, it's free. And you know what, you wanna stay here? It's free want to keep messing up I still forgive you my grace is yours and for some of us who maybe are holding on to some sort of shame some sort of guilt for something that we have done in our past something that has affected 
impacted a relationship that is still not quite the same. You know better than anyone that sin has an effect on your relationship with other people. But I need you to know today that your Father in heaven has already forgiven you. That forgiveness is already yours. Now it's free, it's a free gift, but there are three things that we should do with this forgiveness. Number one, we should receive it, right? If someone offers you a gift, you can say no thanks, and just turn around and walk away, but that, that would be rude. Jesus offers us this gift of forgiveness. All we have to do is receive it and say, yes, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. And then the next thing we can do is remember that forgiveness. Sometimes we can get stuck in thinking that receiving the forgiveness of God is a one-time prayer. You say it once and you're done forever, but no, we need to remember the forgiveness of God. We're gonna practice that in just a moment as we um, take up communion together. But we need to remember daily the forgiveness of God, how God has died on the cross for us so that we could live in freedom and how, how amazing that is. And I want us to consider this idea of active remembrance. You all know what active listening is. You can listen to someone, but you're not really hearing what they're saying. We can remember what Jesus has done for us because it's just what we do in church and communion can kind of feel like a routine. But I want us to practice active remembrance and truly going back to that time when Jesus first spoke to us, when God spoke to us, maybe that's this morning for the first time, and says, you're forgiven. All the things you've done, the things you're doing right now, the things that you're going to do in the future, I already paid for that. I've already died for your sins. Just receive it, receive it and remember it. And then the third thing we can do is we can respond to it. And by respond, I mean, it should do something to the way we live our lives, to the way that we interact with other people this woman in the story who entered the Pharisee's home, she was just so overwhelmed by this forgiveness and this love she has received from Jesus that she couldn't help but pour it back out onto the feet of Jesus. And so how, how are we responding to that forgiveness? How are we responding to the grace that God has given us each and every day? It should change the way that we live and interact with other people. It should make forgiving others easier to forgive others is a challenging thing, but it's less challenging when we remember how good God has been to us. And when we live a life of forgiveness, when we live in this state of being forgiven by God, it makes it easier to forgive and to love others. I've heard one preacher say that forgiveness is a lot like water. It's just good for you. It's just good for you. It's, if you're feeling bad, if you're feeling whatever in your body, just drink some water. It's gonna be good for you. And forgiveness is like that. Just forgive. Just forgive the people who have hurt you. It'll cost you nothing. It'll do so much good for your relationships. So remember, you can um, receive the forgiveness of God. Remember the forgiveness of God and respond to it in your life. Now the past is past. And it's true, we cannot change that past. We can't change what has happened to us. We can't change what we have done to other people, but we can make the choice to live differently from here on out. We can choose to live differently in the light of what Jesus 
has done for us. The forgiveness that we have already got from God. Because of that, we can choose to live differently. We can choose to love better and interact with the people in our life in a different way. Well, let's take up communion together. Um, in, the, in the chair in front of you, you should have a communion cup. And as well in the front row, it should be there. Now, I want to say communion is something that we do at church, again, just to remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. If you're maybe visiting with us for the first time, this shouldn't be something that you feel pressured to do. It's just something we want to do to remember what Jesus has done for us. But this is a really powerful image, this, this image of communion. Jesus, before going to the cross, he gathered his disciples around a table and they had a meal together. And Jesus took some bread and he, and he broke it, he gave thanks to God and he said, remember this moment. Remember in the garden when Adam had the apple, God told Adam, don't eat this fruit. If you eat this fruit, you will surely die. And that's what happened. He ate the fruit, he disobeyed God and sin and death entered the world. But Jesus in this moment, sitting around the table with his disciples, he says, take this bread, eat this bread and remember what I have done to give you life. Remember the sacrifice that I have made. So it says in Luke chapter 22, he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you can peel off that top layer and grab this wafer. I'm gonna pray and then we'll eat together. God, I thank you for your sacrifice. God, I thank you for the body that was broken for us, God. We just take a moment to acknowledge that right now. Maybe we don't acknowledge it enough, but Jesus, you came to earth so that you could die for us. You didn't deserve it. We deserved it, but you took our place. And so we thank you for your goodness and your sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can eat. And it goes on, it says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you again for your sacrifice, for the blood that was spilled for us. God, your blood washes away all of our transgressions, all of our sins, God. We have done so much that is wrong. We have acted poorly towards your people who are created in your image. So God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the blood that was shed for us. We acknowledge it. We remember it right now. And we thank you that it will allow us to love others better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We can drink together. I wonder if there's anyone here in the room who has never received the forgiveness of God, who's maybe heard of it or not heard of it. And you're thinking, this sounds like a good thing. It sounds too good to be true. I wanna tell you it's not. The forgiveness of God is free and it's available to you. So if you've never accepted the free gift of salvation, of forgiveness from God, I'm gonna pray a prayer in a moment. I want you to pray with me. 
that you would receive that this morning. And if anyone here is maybe used to follow Jesus, you used to come to church, but you stepped away for a little bit, some things happened, some relationships fell through, maybe you wanna come back to God this morning. His arms are open wide. Forgiveness is available to each and every one of us, no matter how long we've lived already, no matter how many mistakes we've made. The call is the same for all of us to walk towards him. So let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for your gift of salvation. I thank you for the gift of your mercy. God, we pray for anyone in this room right now who has never taken that first step, who has never accepted the free gift of your forgiveness, of your salvation. God, I pray that you would urge them right now to take that step forward. I pray that you would show them an image of you with your arms wide open saying, come home, come home to me. He's waiting for you. And so I pray for anyone who is afraid or has been afraid of taking that first step, that they would do that, that you would encourage them to take that first step and accept the free gift of your forgiveness. And for anyone who has maybe fallen off the roadside a little bit, who used to follow you, but doesn't any, anymore, I pray that they would come back to you. I pray that they would get back on the road and would continue to follow after your ways, Jesus. This free gift of forgiveness, of mercy is available to each and every one of us. So right now, God, we receive it. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the 80th time, we receive your forgiveness and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.